Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to another great episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got an outstanding guest today. I always have outstanding guests, uh, but my guest today is uh, somebody that I think is going to be particularly interesting and timely, and her name is Linda Wurzeniak. Linda, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here. Yeah, no, we, we love having you. And for the listeners here, uh, Linda is an international human development and transformation consultant to high-performance professional sports and Fortune 500 organizations. She is an expert in transitioning multicultural talent from around the globe. Linda founded Major League Consulting LLC, where she created the PAR test of adjustment and the V plus one system of improvement which has helped hundreds of professional athletes perform at their highest level and become positive role models for society. She's also an author, and in the book we're going to talk about today is titled Million Dollar Adjustments, The Power of Small Changes on Performance Productivity and Peace. Um, now, Linda, I love that background, and, and it makes me very interested to hear how you're going to answer the very first question I ask all my guests. When you hear the words responsible leadership, what do they mean to you? You know, that is a great question. Um, you know, in, in sports, we talk about leadership all the time. And we also talk about responsibility. So to put those two together um, is really kind of a, an awesome, um, just an awesome thing to do. Because um, I think that leaders, when you think of what a leader is, I don't know about you, but I, I already imagine someone who's a little bit responsible. They know they want to control the field. They know they want to control their future. There's kind of a sense of um, example and being able to control their actions and uh, to, to basically to master something. But then when you think of responsibility, you don't always 
I mean, you don't always put leadership in there. You can, but you know, you can be responsible for um, your your um, car keys. You can be responsible for paying your bills. You can be responsible for you know uh, the small things in life. But that doesn't necessarily make you a leader. So it's funny putting those two together. I think what it says to me is that um, not only are you wanting to be um, someone who can control and grow and grow others around you, but you're going to do it in a way that is good for them, that you're going to do it in a way that is um, careful, thoughtful, intentional, and um, that is not just about what might be the immediate win, but more so the long-term win. And to me, that's what responsible leadership is. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that definition. I love that breakdown. And, uh, you know, there was a lot, a lot of good stuff there. And, you know, I know my listeners are, are always keen to, to hear those answers. And I think they got a lot of value uh, out of that. Um, and, and just to give the listeners a little bit of context here, uh, you know, Linda was, was scheduled to be a guest on the show way, way back. Um, uh, I say way, way back, but back in, <laughs> I want to say December, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And yep. I think it was the day that we were scheduled to record was when uh, your world kind of got really interesting mm-hmm. because uh, the, the Major League Baseball lockout kicked in. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure it's been a whirlwind, a whirlwind situation for you ever since then, huh? Well, actually, since March 13th of 2020, my world's been really wild. Um, and I'll just start there really quick because yeah. um, that was that was the day the commissioner's office said, uh, we're shutting this down, people. <laughs> um, and I'll never forget, I went into, I was working um, at the Cubs at that, that day, and I went into just you know, I was in I was in Arizona for spring training. Um, just went into the normal, you know, into the complex and um, got in and was opening the door that said, you know, personnel only. After this point, you know, I was going in, and that's where the major league locker rooms were and the minor league locker rooms. And I all of a sudden saw all the major league players kind of walking in a single file line. They had just come out of the theater room. And the coaches were with them and they were all walking kind of with their heads down and heading toward the locker rooms. And I was like, what's going on? I had never seen such a strange scene before. And um, I'm looking around and I'm no one's saying anything. So I, I, I go up to one of the coaches that I know. I'm like, what's going on here? And he goes, yeah, we can't talk about it. I'm like, okay. So I'm go. I went to another one. What? Finally, I went to someone who said, yeah, we're shutting it down. I think the, the commissioner's about to shut this down and send us all home. And I was like, oh, so we're not going to have a season? And everyone was just shrugging. It was just the strangest, most eerie scene. And so I said, okay. And I'm thinking, what do I do? <laughs> no one's really talking about what to do here. So um, so I thought, okay, I'm just going to hang around here for just a little bit and kind of see how this plays out. So I stayed there maybe for, I don't know, an hour, an hour and a half, just pulled out my computer, found a place to sit, did some, did some stuff. And then I finally said, okay. Um, I just need to probably just go back to the hotel, think about my uh, what I need to do. And then someone came up to me and said, yeah, you probably want to make sure your flight is, we're going to shut down the complex. So we need you to kind of make sure your flight is, you know, prepared. Um, I was like, okay, that's interesting. So I go outside and there's just a media flurry. I mean, there's just 
people from all over trying to get an interview. They must have caught wind of it. And then um, I was able to get past that, got to my hotel, and that's when I saw the broadcast that, you know, uh, commissioner's office had shut it down and um, my flight was scheduled for the next day and it happened to be Friday the 13th. And I thought, this is weird. Um, so, so yeah, that that's when the whole weirdness did start. And I would say it kind of now is only just now beginning to be more normal. So, yeah, I, I think that's something that, that everybody is kind of dealing with right now is is everything starting to get a little bit a little bit. I'm using air quotes here a little bit yep. more normal. And I use air quotes with normal, too, because, uh, you know, I think one of my favorite quotes and it goes unattributed. I really wish I knew who. Uh, who coined the the quote but it says change is changing faster than change has ever changed before mm. and uh, I think that's just the world we're living in right now and that, that's perfect uh, perfect example of how how yeah. quickly and how on a dime that things can change in this world right and that's why you need to be able to make adjustments <laughs> yeah no and, and I love that so um, yeah, I mean, that's a good, good segue to the book. I like that because what, what really struck out to me when I read the, uh, read the title million dollar adjustments is I was taken back, uh, to Marine Corps boot camp and, uh, and the rifle range. And mm. one of the things that the primary marksmanship instructor used to tell us is, is, uh, you know, when you miss, you want to make bold corrective adjustments to get yourself back on target. Don't hmm. just, you know, make small incremental, you know, uh, adjustments. If you're far off, you need to make bold adjustments to get back in. Then you start making the fine adjustments. So I'm kind of curious, like, uh, before we really kind of start going down the line in the book a little bit, like, how does that philosophy fit in with what you do? That's interesting. Um, it, that's a little different than what I have been exposed to um, in sports because, I mean, of course, there's probably a time to make a bold adjustment. Um, you know, you can practice all day long, and you're getting ref you're you're getting your craft, um, you're mastering your craft, and I think that's when you're making the more incremental adjustments. But but when you're in a game and you don't have that time frame and you have to do something quickly, I think that's when the bolder adjustments may come into play. Um, but overall, you know, it is it is about small um, or impactful. And, and these are, I mean, actually, I actually kind of break it down in the book about the types of adjustments there are. So, you know, there are short term, there are long term, there are big, there are small, there's just all different kinds of adjustments. And we don't really think about it because we lump them all together. Um, so yeah, that I think for, for me, it's really just about the different elements of adjustments. And that's one thing that we kind of put together is that we found that there are five different elements um, that make up any adjustment. And that is that can, they can be bold, depending on what you need. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, let's talk about that for a second. What are those five, five elements? Yeah. So the first one is belief and that's a big one. And there's a lot of mental skills and sports psych and a lot of other people who, who do that field. Um, but it really has to do with, do you believe you can do this? And um, that's really the essence of it. There are a few other things, but just what are your belief systems around the adjustment? Um, the second one is your timing and your internal timing. And we all operate at a different timing. Um, and, and that is a real important one too, because some adjustments require that you do things faster. 
and some require that you take your time. So, so it's really understanding your natural rhythm, your natural timing and how that will impact how well you can do those things and what you need to train if you don't have that. Um, the third one is, um, strategic actions. And this might be more aligned with what you're talking about in the military, but, um, you know, before you make an adjustment, you might want to know, should it be an offensive one, a defensive one? And there are actually, you know, the military, as you probably well know, has really done a great job of defining strategy. Um, there's, I did, I actually went and did some research on, you know, military strategies and found that there are, um, you know, like several offensive types, like direct and indirect and different kinds, and then several defensive types. And so knowing a little bit more about these types of things will help you make a great adjustment. Um, And then, and then I'm sure you know about those. Um, And then of course there's the other two are information synthesis, how well you see where, what's around you. And the last one is um, knowledge and what you don't know, what you can go, you know, you need to go get. So those are the five areas. No, I I love those. And and those, you know, those are great. And, and, uh, you know, they they line up very well again with, um, you know, some of the the, the tenets of of military leadership that know Mm. yourself and seek self-improvement and things like that. And, uh, you know, as again, it was one of the things I loved about the book and and, uh, is is that kind of close tie-in with all the stuff you talk about and, and what we talked about in the military and, and how well that stuff translates into, uh, you know, business, into sports, into into life. Um, mm, but, for sure. You know, kind of just to clarify here, like for folks who are listening, like when we're talking about adjustments, you know, because they heard us talking about baseball and all that, you know, we're not necessarily talking about like adjusting a swing or, or adjusting a batting stance, although those are adjustments that professional athletes need to make but but this is a lot about you know life right i mean when when we were talking kind of in the pre-recording you know again about the lockout about all those people who are affected the 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 spouses the uh people who make the baseballs the people who make the bats you know like this doesn't just affect the player or the owners it affects a lot of people that have to make a lot of adjustments right oh gosh yeah you know the you know, anytime you, you take people's world and you put it on pause or you change it or you bring in some uncertainty, I mean, people plan and whether you're in a business planning, you know, inventory or you're a family planning your schedules or, you know, you're planning your workout routines or your skills. I mean, all those things, um, all those things affect how we, um, you know, how we, how we, live our lives and how stress and anxiety we feel and or not feel. So yeah. Um, and, and it affects incomes and all kinds of things. So the, the baseball lockout was a really uh, stressful time for a lot of people. It was stressful for um, players that were at the major league level and their wives. It was stressful for um, obviously, you know, stadiums and um, people who plan all of the, you know, <laughs> The, they, they do a lot of things for, um, you know, the experience for the fan experience, as well as coaching staffs and office staff. I mean, it was really, there was a lot of chatter, just like, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? And, you know, when do you think it's going to be resolved? I mean, we just had daily conversations. It was really 
you know, it was just an interesting, people were starting to learn how to deal with uncertainty, but that one was one that not the rest of the world was dealing with. You know, it was kind right. of more, more people in the baseball community. Uh, it's funny because I have to tell you this funny story. I, I have a really good friend in baseball and um, his name is Chewy. That's his nickname. And he's from the Dominican and he's a um, fantastic guy. And he, um, he works for one of the teams. He's a coach and he started an empanada business because he loves empanadas. He's an amazing cook. So he decided to buy a food truck and um, make these empanadas. And he, he went to his team and said, do you mind if I sell these during the, um, stadium, you know, at the stadium, um, for, for, you know, for our fans. And so they gave, they said, sure. So they gave him like a license to be a vendor and, and, you know, he set up the whole thing. He had everything ready to go for spring training. And then we didn't have one till like it didn't happen right away. So here's an example of someone who, works in the baseball world, but he happened to have this other thing he was going to do. And all of a sudden he would call me and said, Linda, I don't know when we're going to be able to sell empanadas. I don't know if I'm going to be able to sell empanadas. I mean, this is like, you know, crazy. And I'm like, oh gosh, Julie, I'm sure it's going to happen. You know, I hope it happens because he was so excited. And all of a sudden it was just like, you know, I mean, so now he's selling empanadas, but it was just, it was so tense for him. You know, he's got six kids and uh, it was just, a t it was a rough time. Oh yeah. Well, you know, and I think that's the thing again, that, that, you know, I've talked about this a few times on, on the show before, and I'm sure my listeners have heard me say it, but uh, you know, hopefully the, the point starting to drive home is, you know, these decisions that we make at work, whatever your work is, whether it's, uh, you know, head office, Major League Baseball, whether it's head office for a team, whether it is is a player themselves, whatever it is, these decisions we make at work have these these ripple effects. They don't just affect what happens in the stadium or in the four walls or, or you know, in the combat area they ripple out and, and it's very hard to tell how those ripples are going to affect everybody around you and, and what adjustments those folks are going to have to make. Um, so I think that's the, the, the big thing that, that I'm really curious about here is, is people like stability, right? They, they don't like, a, I'm sure when you start talking about adjustments, like people start kind of getting a little cringy over the word adjustment. So how do you get people a little bit more comfortable to be adaptable and, and flexible and make these types of adjustments? You know, I don't talk about change. I don't think people, people, when, when you correlate adjustment with change, that's when people go, Ugh. so I don't really talk about change. And I think that's why the baseball world and most sports world, they don't talk about change. To me, change is substituting what you already have. So I have, like I say in the book, you know, if I want to, I don't like my belt, I'm going to change it. I'm going to go get another one. But an adjustment is I might just, if I don't like my belt, I'm, I'm going to keep the same belt. But I might just, um, you know, uh, adjust the way it fits or I might paint it a little bit or I might do something to it. So I have the original, um, you know, material, but I'm just doing a little something differently to it. So I think when you kind of settle people down to say, no, no, we're not we're not taking away or changing something We're we're just kind of refining and, and making it a little better. I think people. Um, resonate with that. And that's the other reason why in the subtitle, I talk about peace because we don't want this to be an unpeaceful process. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. 
Um, so I think that's the biggest uh, difference is that it's not about saying what you come with isn't good, isn't good enough. Oh yeah, it's good enough, but we're just going to like make it so that it's what you want it to be. And I love that idea. I love that philosophy. It, it, it takes me back to, you know, kind of the Toyota production system with the, the Kaizen concepts of of continual mm-hmm. improvement. And I think that's really, really kind of what you're talking about here when you, you talk about yeah. adjustments, right, is continual improvement. Right, it is. But from a, I mean, you can't, you know, Kaizen is, is machinery and, and, you know, um, statistical control analysis for those machine or machines, but this is really more just people and human systems and talent. Like that is where we all are looking. Um, you know, leadership today in organizations are, is something that has been um, a little bit lacking, and I think most organizations are feeling it and know it, and they're trying to figure out how do we how do we get it going, how do we make it happen. Um, and um, there's some real concerns uh, and some real obstacles and challenges to people and their leadership skills. So, you know, I feel that most, if you're in the process, if, if you're responsible for developing anybody or you have to develop yourself, you have to be comfortable with simple adjustments. And um, and again, you know, it's, it's, it's not saying we want to replace who you are, replace what you bring, because those are all important things. But how do you um, how do you make the right adjustments and, and what exactly is an adjustment? I mean, that's why I really felt it was important to define it, because it's too vague. It had to be very bite sized. And I think that's people can handle bite size. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're right. You're right. And, and I'm, I'm kind of curious as well, like as you were talking there, um, how do you, how do people realize that they need to make an adjustment, right? Like, so I can see, like, especially with an institution that's been around as long as, as baseball, a lot of things are, you know, there are a lot of things about baseball that are hundreds of uh, over a hundred years old at this point in time, mm-hmm. but there are adjustments that can be made to the process. And and how do you get people to realize now's the time to adjust versus, well, you know, this is the way we've always done it. We just need to give a little bit of time. It's always worked before. We'll, we'll get back to working. Wow. You know, that's, um, as you're saying that, I'm, I was, I'm sure the military has this too, right? Do you think so? They have these same... I, I think so. I mean, I think there, there are a lot of, uh, you know, customs and, and traditions that, that are out there that, that people kind of rely on as, as old school, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say that, that the one thing where I think uh, a lot of people don't necessarily give the military enough credit for is uh, the, the empowering of people even at the lowest rank to make adjustments on the fly based with the knowledge mm, that they have in the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, orders typically come from on high and they kind of get pushed down and you have, as you mentioned, you have the kind of the strategy, but the tactics, especially, you know, let's just say, because uh, we, we've all seen the footage of, you know, the the raid on Osama bin Laden, right? Mm-hmm. Um you know, that was a very well thought out thing. But, you know, the first thing that happened when they got there was one of the helicopters had issues and they had to blow it up. 
And then they yeah. had to adjust. It wasn't like they had to, you know, call and, and get permission from President Obama to make the adjustments. They knew right then and there, this is what's wrong. This is the adjustments we need to make. Let's do it and make mm-hmm. this a success. And mm-hmm. so, yes, I think there is a big component of that. But I think there is a lot of empowering, you know, people at the lowest level to make the necessary adjustments when they arise. Well, and that's an interesting point because you're talking about lower levels and um, right now. But when you um, mentioned, you know, how do you get people to change or know they have to change? Um, are you talking about more at the higher levels? Um, I'm talking about at all levels, you know, because I, okay. I think the one thing that I, I've ran into and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of count it this way. I think the one thing that I've ran into is there is a lot of. Okay, so the example I gave was pretty obvious that you had to make an adjustment because you couldn't just say, mm-hmm. well, no, the, we're going to take the helicopter back out because it doesn't fly anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, it's those more subtle things where, you know, let's, let's talk about like in a, in a business where maybe you're starting to lose. I'm not going to use any names here, but let's just say you're one of the big companies and you've enjoyed 75, 80, 90 percent market share for a long time. And now you're seeing it drop down to 88 and 87 and 85. How do you get them to realize that's an indicator that something needs to change? Don't wait until you get down to 70. Adjust now. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I feel like um, there are companies, a lot of companies that are looking at metrics. You know, it's it's how well are you looking at your metrics and then how well are you positioned to make, um, to make, I think it comes down to the knowledge. Uh, in many ways, it's information, you know, synthesis and knowledge. Those two elements are strong in that case. Because if you, if you look around and you see it, great. But if you look around and you don't see it, then that could be part of the issue that you don't see it. Um, and part of where what you might need to do is increase your knowledge and training so that you can see those situations. Um, and so a lot of times people see it, but they don't know what to do about it um, or they don't feel empowered to do it. So then there's part of the belief um, element. So all of these work in combination. One of the things that I really like to do of all the elements, I always start with the internal timing one. And it's kind of like the warm up. Um, it kind of gets people realizing what, where they are. So, so they take the PAR test. Test helps a lot. And then, um, but I also really, if they, if they can't take the test or they don't, I don't really know where they're starting. We talk about timing and everyone can get their arms around that and everyone understands. Everybody's usually fascinated when they learn a little bit about their own internal timing. Then what we do is we we move from there, and there's such an awareness in that that you start to see how it impacts everything else. Um, so there's some things you can do that um, I have found to be very effective, really in whatever you're trying to do. Yeah. So you mentioned that PAR test. Uh, talk about that for a second. Like what what is that, and like who is it designed for? The PAR test, PAR stands for a performance adjustment response. So we see how do you respond to making adjustment and how does that impact your performance? Um, it is not a pencil and paper test. It is a um, test that is uh, based on moves and counter moves, basically. Um, and we look and see, there's no there's no talking, there's no words, it's, it's, it's really, um, more of a performance type of test. Uh, 
From that, we, we've seen and done so many tests, we can pick up on things. We can see how those five elements play into a natural process. And then we can pick it, like pick apart where we think there might be weaknesses and how to help somebody to um, improve those areas. Hmm. No, I like that. Again, it's 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 always interesting to see those similarities because kind of what you're talking about there um, was again something that they put us through in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of Marine Corps boot camp, we we had to go through this thing called the Crucible, and it was a lot of those types of tests. It was it was problem solving uh, tests, but what they didn't tell you at the time was it wasn't so much important that you solved the problem. They were looking for the process that you went through to solve the problem. You know, mm-hmm. were you able to keep a level head? Were you able to identify what was going on? Were you able to come up with some type of solution, whether it worked or not? Or did you fall apart? Did you start yelling and screaming at folks and, and things like that? So it was very much a kind of a pressure test, if you will, and how did you respond to that? So, you know, I know yours is probably a little bit different, but uh, some similarities there, it seems. Well, yeah, for sure. And again, we're not um, really the biggest reason is to try to find ways. This test is to try to find ways to help someone through their own adjustment process so they can actually make adjustments faster. Um if that's their if that's their preference, not everybody wants to make adjustments fast, but um, but that's part of it. Now, in the book, I actually talk too about drawing the line on adjustments. There's some situations where people don't want to make an adjustment, and we've all run into that. We've all probably done that ourselves, and so I talk about that. That there are certain situations where people say, "Nope, I'm I'm not doing it." Um, and so, you know, there's, it, in some ways, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think there's a point where people know themselves well enough. I mean, it's, again, it depends on the situation. But, you know, I think there's time and a place where it's okay that you don't make an adjustment if it's not right for you um, based on some of these things. So, so I guess that's another difference is I'm... I think there's a respect for knowing that people um, have, um, you know, either deep-seated beliefs or deep-seated reasons, and we have to kind of respect that too. Now, sometimes that comes in that that clashes with organizational desires, um, and that's that's where we are today. And I think that that we're going to see that more and more. Personally, I think we're going to see that more and more. And so I think, the, you know, there's going to be an interesting um, new offshoot of how that's going to look. But um, but I do think that is that is going to be a possible outcome. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And, and I really love that you put that in there because I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people I've seen not draw that line at adjustments and always kind of seeking seeking something else and they've uh, I'll, I'll use the language uh, you know they, they've adjusted themselves out of happiness into a terrible situation mm-hmm. and, and I exactly. think that's worse than anything else right yeah I mean I think when you're when you it's it's 
it's, it can be a slippery slope and it can be a double-edged sword. You have to know when to use a sword and when to put it away. So I, I think that's part of why, you know, it is important to understand that there are times when that doesn't always work for us. Um, and we need to be um, cognizant of that. And anybody developing somebody and, and you know, that's like, maybe there's a way to uh, work around in some ways and maybe there isn't. So it's just... Um, I think we need to be aware that that could happen. Yeah. Well, and I think it goes back a little bit to, to one of the other uh, chapters in the book that you, you titled Use Adjustments to Win, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and I think that's the thing that, you know, kind of tying those two together there and, and tell me where I'm, I'm right or wrong here. But, you know, tying those two chapters together, sometimes the adjustment to, to win, um, you know, is realizing that that the organization is changing in a way that you don't like and maybe you do need to look for uh, a, a different place to work a different team a different you know profession maybe all together right absolutely i mean sometimes the world adjusts um the global adjustments or you know um cultural adjustments that you um don't feel you want to adjust with and i think that that's what makes um, this country a good, a great country, um, that we have choice. And I think that sometimes we have to, you know, be, be willing to step into that if those choices, if we feel that the, you know, it's the right thing for us. Um, so that's my thought on that. Yeah, no, and, and I agree. And, 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 you know, talking about this, you know, great resignation that's going on right now, I think that's a, a big factor. And this is, you know, kind of my personal opinion, um, I hear a lot of people talk about how, oh, well, people just don't want to work anymore. And I keep trying to point out, it's like, no, maybe, maybe what they're saying is they don't want to work for you or they don't want to work for that organization or, or right. you know, they are making their own life adjustments. I don't think it's that people don't want to work. It's kind of like what you said. We've got a lot of opportunities right now that people we really didn't have even five or 10 years ago, thanks to. Thanks to the internet and thanks to technology, and it's it's a lot easier for people to say, "Yeah, I'm not really happy, you know, flipping burgers, or I'm not really happy, you know, sweeping stadiums. I want to start my empanada business." Right, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> right, and you know, like following things that we have a dream on our heart or something that we want to do. Um, again, that requires a different set of adjustments because now you might have to retrain my, you might have to, you know, look, re, re go back to those five elements and do something different. But yeah, there, there are other choices. And so, you know, that's an important thing too, is that if your heart really, really isn't into something and you can make all the adjustments and try and it's still not into it, maybe there's, there's a different thing going on there. You know, that's where your, your beliefs might not be aligned. And that's um, like, maybe you believe you, sh- you would rather do a different type of work. So yeah, I think, um, I think that's why breaking these into five, elements really help have these discussions yeah no it's i think that is is key and you know again is because we all do have different areas some of those some of those areas i'm sure people are extremely strong in and some of them they, they do need a little bit of help but uh you know i am kind of yeah, curious absolutely <laughs> uh yeah no i i'm kind of curious here uh in chapter seven and folks again you need to go grab a copy of Million Dollar Adjustments because 
there's a lot of great information in here throughout the book. You know, what we've talked about right here, we haven't even really scratched the surface of the book. There's a lot of great content in here. Uh, but I'm kind of curious, the, the traits of a million-dollar adjuster, like what are those traits? And when you say million-dollar adjuster, what does that look like? Well, it's based a lot on the research that we, um, so we did this test, the PAR test, and we um, started, I mean, we did, uh, we tested a lot of people, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people. And we, um, we started looking at data and started to see that, um, we started tracking people, we started tracking, you know, not just what did we find, but what did we find over time? And how did they perform over time and how far, what levels did they get to? And then how long did they stay at those levels? And anyway, what we did is we looked at the top of the top, the, you know, the guys that were the, the strongest performers, the people who were the strongest performers. And, um, and what we saw was that there were some traits that came out that um, were a little bit, I guess you could say they were typical, but but it was just so cool how the data showed it. So um, a, like a million dollar adjuster tends to be decisive. Um, they tend to react and make a decision, um, a reasonable decision, but they tend to be decisive overall. They tend to uh, maximize their time. They're not and, and that's kind of what a decision maker does. They kind of look, you know, I could go study this for a long time or I can, maybe I just need a few pieces of information. They figured out what they actually need to really make a decision. And so they maximize their time in that decision making. Um, they also fail and they know they're going to fail and they've learned how to sustain their attention after failure. So they're not like, again, that's maximizing your time because if you fail and you go home and you just kind of sit down and you eat lots of ice cream and you binge watch your favorite, you know, show on Netflix for five days, you really haven't maximized your time. So a million dollar adjuster will fail, but will not take a ton of time um, to rebound. They can sustain their attention after that. They're, and then they also see solutions and relevant correlations, which basically means they um, they can start to work through what went wrong. How do they? How is their decision making going to change? Um, so they kind of, overall they just kind of remain calmer. They kind of um, they kind of think a little bit in terms of. Um, effects and they're not afraid to try again they're they're not afraid to risk and they and they they watch what happens from the next action so that's what a true a million dollar adjust adjuster really is mm. yeah and those are great traits to have just in general because Absolutely. Uh, yeah i mean i i love i love that that kind of bears out and, and you've got the data to support that because you know, it's, it's that being willing to adjust and willing to to to, to take those risks and, and all those things you just talked about there that that really do set everybody apart. Like if you look at the stories behind like a Richard Branson or whatever, it's it's those traits that Linda was just talking about that took them from being, uh, you know, just a poor student with dyslexia to running empires. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and so those are some some very valuable traits there um yeah and you know people will say well isn't that a type a no not necessarily like 
I think, you know, we have so many things, Enneagram type. I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff. And I feel like um, this may not like someone say, well, that sounds like this kind of guy or that kind of guy. And, and I hate I don't really like labels. But what I think is that it they tend to be uh, measurable. These are things that tend to be measurable. So um, that's why we call them traits. They're not absolutes, but they're traits. And so I feel like when you see when you start to really see the data and you start to see how it plays out, it makes sense why this is um, this person is doing what they're doing and why they're performing where they are. And again, it goes back to do you even want to do that? Not everybody wants to do that. So people who really want to do that um, really focus in on it. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100 um, percent. Your, your final chapter in the book is titled Great adjustments open doors. Let's talk about that for a second. What do you mean by that? Um, well, I think that we, there's a lot of um, words flying around. And I think that for um, people just, when you understand the idea and the concepts of adjustments and you start talking about it with people in opportunities with, you know, whether it's a job, whether it's sales, whether it's management, managing others, whatever you're doing and you start really talking about adjustments in terms of the elements, in terms of, um, in a conversational way, people want to know more. I mean, people want to, uh, they want, they want to, well, you know, it's different. It's, they can sense there's something different there and they want to know, well, what does this mean and how does that work? Because the bottom line is everyone has to make adjustments. I mean, in life. And so if I can do that better, if it's less stressful, if I don't have as much anxiety, how can I, you know, how do I do that? And so I feel like once you can have this conversation, once you understand the terminology, I mean, that's going to open doors. People are going to respond. They're going to ask for more. They're going to under, they're going to look for more. Um, they're going to want to see what you're talking about. It, it's been my experience that it has these, this concept and the words around it and the ideas, um, truly get people interested and they want to learn more and they want to work with you. Yeah. No, I, I, again, I love everything you're saying there. And, and, you know, listeners, we've been talking about this, this word adjustments throughout this entire discussion. And, and I happen to have these numbers handy. And I just wanted to share this here to kind of really drive home the point of Linda's work and the importance of adjustments. So, um, you know, some of my listeners heard me talk about this before. I do, uh, kind of some, some, development and, and training on this concept uh called the ooda loop uh oh, interesting yeah so so i, was, I like the uh, name it's fun <laughs> yeah so it, 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 it uh, <laughs> was originated in the 70s by a air force colonel uh john boyd and it stands for observe orient decide act ooda oh, um, okay i see yeah, and, and but one of the things that you know the 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 second O is orient, and uh, if you look at at orienteering, and and this is where this ties in with what you're you're doing there, and I really want folks to key in on this. So, if you're traveling or in, orienteering, using your compass to to travel, and you're off by a degree, mm-hmm. after a hundred yards, you're only going to be off by a little over five feet from your intended target. If you keep yep. trucking and you don't make the adjustment and you get back on track, 
after a mile, you're going to be 92, 93 feet off of your target. Okay, still yeah, recoverable. Not good. Yeah. But if you don't make your adjustment then and you keep going, and let's just say, for instance, you decided to circumnavigate the globe, you're going to be off target by the time you come all the way around by almost 500 miles. Holy cow. One degree. One yeah. degree. You know, easy yeah. adjustments that could have been made through the process. And this is what Linda's talking about. Making these adjustments, right, can get you back on course and keep you maybe just a couple feet off versus ending up 500 miles off course. Well, and I think that's why people, that's why it opens doors because there's so much incredible waste. I hate to use that word, but true in those one, de- in that one degree, like waste of fuel, waste of, because obviously when you, when you're five, <laughs> when you're way off like that, then you have to go back unless you're going to stay there, but then that's going to create more cost, more um, time, more heartache, more stress, right? So those are, those are wasteful things. Well, and I think that's maybe the, the terrible part there too, right, is what you just said, is a lot of times people fail to make these adjustments and they end up someplace they don't want to be, but because it takes so much time and effort to get back where they would like to be, they're just like, eh, I am going to stick here and suck it up, right? Right. It's interesting because... Um, so I have a friend um, in the baseball world. It's a female, and she's actually um, undergoing. Unfortunately, she's, she she found out she had cancer, and mm. she's um, been going through treatments. And she just had a surgery, and um, she's actually recovering amazingly well. And I just told her, I said, you know, you've always really t- taken care of yourself, so I'm sure that has something to do with it. And she said, you know what I learned through this. I- I learned that you really can't go backwards. You have to, wherever you start when you get something is where you start. And it really hit me because I was like, huh. So all those little adjustments that she made um, every single day just kind of helped her stay on the track. Even though this big thing came, she was able to navigate it pretty well. So I think that's the other side of it is even if you are doing really good things or, you know, if something big happens and you're doing those adjustments every day, you should be able to stay on course, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Well, and, and I hope your friend continues with their, their recovery and everything goes well. I, I Yes. Thank you. I always hate to hear, especially when, when the cancer word is involved, there have had too many people in my family deal with that and too many friends. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I just hope that they keep going with their recovery. So please send them, uh, send them my well wishes. Will do for sure. Yeah. So far, so good. So, I mean, I guess if you can be good, it's so far so good. So, yeah, those are things that, you know, so, so you know, adjustments are more than just, you know, in work. They're just in, in, in really in, in everything, you know. Um, but again, I think that doesn't have to be overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, you know, and again, sometimes, sometimes it's, it's good. And, and, you know, always am hesitant to have this conversation with, with something like that, but I do know people who have, you know, developed types of cancer and because of that process, they found other health problems that made, went unnoticed and mm-hmm. the cancer led them to getting these other things taken care of that would have been much more detrimental down the line. So, you know, you, you never really know how devastating something sounds in the moment. It might, and I don't want to sound Pollyanna-ish with this, but it might be a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. You know, you don't, you don't always know. Um, and those are things that it always seems like it may not be 
what you hope for, what you want, but there might be something on the other side of that you just don't know yet. Yeah. And I think that's what you're getting at, right? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. You know, and in, in you know, in the sports world, you get traded to a team that maybe you didn't want to play for, but you know, uh, the perfect example that comes to mind. Um, I know you talk a lot about baseball. I'm not sure how familiar you are with you know football, but uh, you know the great uh, Buffalo Bills quarterback Jim Kelly. You mm-hmm. know, he was drafted by the Buffalo Bills, refused to play for him, hated it, didn't want to go to Buffalo, so he goes to the AFL. That folds. He ends up going to Buffalo after the fact, and and because they still had the, his rights in the NFL, and he's a legend in Buffalo, and he loves it. Where, <laughs> yep. You know, if he hadn't have resisted for those first few years, who knows what that franchise could have looked like? But you know, once he gave it a chance, he loved it. So, yeah. well, same with like uh, you know some of the players too. You know. Um, that we've, they came from another country and they, you know, they just have this opportunity and they're like, okay, we're, you know, maybe he wasn't anything. We, we don't know what he's going to look like. And all of a sudden, you know, they just blow it out of the park and you're like, wow, you know, this, this is meant to be. And so those, those situations are always fun to watch. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, Linda, we've been chatting here for just a, a, a skosh over 45 minutes here and it has been, a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed having uh, th- this discussion awesome. with you. Is there anything we didn't get a chance to to chat about that you want to leave listeners with before we go? You know, um, I do love to talk about joy and the joy of adjustments. And I yeah. know that we didn't really get a chance to, to hit on that, but I, I feel like um, we've all been through some big seasons of adjustments just in in the last two years as you know we've we've all experienced some crazy stuff and i think it's really important that we understand that joy is such an important piece of this um, because it helps reset our timing and helps us to um, move forward in things and i guess i just want to say that when you know whatever adjustments you've been going through or are potentially going to go through um, there are joy there there can be joy in adjustments in, in any adjustment and um, it doesn't all have to be about pain and so I, I guess what I want to leave is that I've seen some incredible incredible um, joyful uh, people make adjustments almost effortlessly and that's because they've learned to to see um, not you know see it a little bit more present and be present with it and 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 see other things about it that might be um, positive, just so positive that they kind of are convicted. So I guess that's the thing we have to focus on is the positive side of an adjustment and how much beauty that can bring and how that can bring such peace. So even if it seems like it's going to be a grind or it's going to be painful, there's just a lot of good things too and a lot of um, happiness that can come from that. So I just want to focus on that too because I think it's really important and the book talks about some ways if you don't have that how you can get it so so that's important too yeah no I love that I love that again listeners the book million dollar adjustments the power of small changes on performance productivity and peace by Linda Warziniak uh Linda People want to find out more about you. They want to go grab a copy of the book, which I highly recommend. They maybe want you to come speak to their organization. Uh, What's a good place for them to go and find out more about Linda? Well, the book they can get on Amazon. Um, Amazon 
carries it. Um, if you go to Barnes and Noble or Books a Million or anything, they'll you uh, you can order it there too, um, online. And to I, I am on social media, Linda Alwarzeniak on Instagram. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. You can send me a DM or you can send me a message there or Linda at MajorLeagueConsulting.com. All right. Outstanding. And we'll get those links in the show notes. And, uh, you know, folks, when you go look for the book, it's it's really uh, I, I love the design. I love the fact that you incorporated the, the cover of a baseball for the cover oh, of your, your book. So it, it, you. it keeps everything on brand. And I, I love seeing that. So. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's been a it's been a fun ride. Baseball is a it's one of America's oldest pastimes. And we have um, I mean, I've had the privilege and the honor of being able to be a part of it and seeing some amazing people inside of it. And I think this summer, I hope everyone will get out and go watch a game. You know, it's it, it's not as fast paced as other sports, but it's a time to kind of be still and see some things, but also enjoy just being outside. Um, it's just it's just a, a really good American sport. So I do hope that you'll go out and have a great summer, get a hot dog or popcorn and take somebody and just go and enjoy, you know, fireworks are usually going sometime during the game at night, you know, in the summer, just enjoy a simple summer activity like that. Yeah, no, I agree. I've, I've actually, and, and you, you may want to just hang up the call right now, but I've never actually been to a major league game, but I've been to a bunch of minor oh, league. We got to change that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, but, but I've loved the minor league games. I think maybe that's it is, uh, you know, lived in Albuquerque and went and saw the isotopes play lived in, yeah. uh, you know, here in Indianapolis, we got a uh, team downtown. So, yeah, you do. Uh, but yeah, so um, no, yeah, I got to change that because, you know, I've yeah. been to an NFL game. I've been to plenty of NHL games. That's my sport. I'm an NHL. I'm a hockey guy. Oh, awesome. Uh, and uh, It's a great sport as well. It, it is. It is. And that's it's a very fun fast experience paced. Too. Oh, yeah. A lot faster than baseball. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, yeah. But Linda, look, I, I really appreciate you being a guest on the show here and having this great conversation with me and my guests. Uh, I know they got a lot of value out of it. I know I got a lot of value out of it. And I just really appreciate you doing what you're doing and making the impact that you are. And again, thank you very much for being a guest on the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Earl. It's been awesome. What a fun um, conversation. Thank you. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. 
We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electricast. Electricast.